listening to Make Your Way, Season 5, Episode 1. Welcome to Make Your Way, where we explore what it means to work and create on your own terms. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials at katielinder.work slash podcasts. Hey, Katie. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm really good because I've convinced you to talk about marketing in season five of the show. Uh, is the sound my frustration makes. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm excited It'll about it. It'll be fine and it will also be fun. Will it though? <laughs> there will be moments of fun. There will be moments. <laughs> there will be moments. Like hopefully when it works and I actually, you know, sell some stuff and get some clients. Right. That's the fun right. part, right? Right. Right. Marketing uh, leads to, you know, making it rain. So uh, yeah, well, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> it is important. And that's why we're talking about it on season five. How are we at season five? I don't know. I don't how know. Happened, but I love it's it. like we're like grown up podcasters or something. I don't really <laughs> I don't I don't get it. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're here to talk this season about marketing. And um, as you can probably tell from my UGG noises, I'm a little less comfortable with marketing than maybe Katie, you are. But I think we're going to dive into some really interesting topics this season and kind of walk through some different strategies and and um, methods of marketing and try them out a little bit and give you some updates on how things go for us throughout the, the season. Um, so today we kind of want to just get a sense for what what do we mean by marketing and what's the landscape of marketing, especially from the perspective of academics. Um, a lot of the people that we talk to on a regular basis come from the academic environment. And um, I think there's some interesting and unique tension points that academics face when it comes to marketing that um, maybe folks from other areas don't, don't face to the same degree. So Katie, I'm curious, um, when you think about marketing, like wearing your I'm an academic hat, what does that like that word elicit inside of you? <laughs> so I wish everyone could see Sarah's face because it's like this like look of disgust. <laughs> She's like asking me this question. So I'm really curious about what your answer is, Sarah. Um, but I think that when I think about marketing from an academic perspective, first of all, I think about things like how our universities market our courses and programs. Like it's not really about individuals. It's often about kind of a corporate selling. Like I think a lot of people think about it as selling. They think about it as something that's very apart from them. Like there's a marketing department and they do things and we don't really know what they are, but students show up. Um, but also I, I feel like I really shifted my understanding of marketing and just kind of promotion in general, when I started thinking about actually promoting my books. Um, that was probably my first place where I was like, okay, maybe I need to think about this as like a strategy. Maybe I need to have a plan and maybe I can actually influence how people see this book and how they choose to use it. And also I think, um, it was really kind of an important thing for me, particularly for my second book, which is the one on blended course design, because I believed in it. Like I actually thought it would help people. I knew that there was a gap. I knew that people didn't know how to do this. And with my first book, which was based on my dissertation, it was fun and I loved it. And it's an interesting topic. It's on rampage violence in schools. For those of you who don't know, I can link to it in the show notes. Um, but it wasn't something I felt like so, you know, it wasn't maybe solving a problem in the same way as my later books have, because they're a little more practical. So I also always think about marketing in some ways as responding to some kind of problem or concern, like you're offering a solution or you're trying to get in the mind or heart of the person that you're marketing to, to say how you can help them. And so that's really been the way that I've thought about it in terms of my business is I have certain things that I really believe in. Like, I think that they work and they're not for everyone and that's okay. And if somebody comes to me and says, is this for me? Here's my situation. If I don't think it's for them, I'm going to tell them. Like, so, so marketing to me is also really tied to like truth telling and trying to connect people to solutions. So I feel like there's definitely been a evolution for me of how I see marketing 
And the other thing I should say that I think is actually kind of a unique um, part of my situation is because of my full-time job um, directing the research unit for Oregon State eCampus, I work very closely with our marketing team and we create dissemination plans for pretty much everything that my research unit produces because it is a form of marketing for the larger organization and it helps with things like credibility and peer reputation. So I feel like I've been exposed to some really thoughtful, smart people who have been trained in marketing and just like watching what they do and how they do it and kind of I've learned a lot of lessons around consistency and tactics and platforms. And, you know, when you say, Sarah, like I seem more comfortable with it, if I am indeed more comfortable with it, that might be why, is I I feel like I've had a chance to kind of observe it um, in a way that feels kind of real, professional, credible, (laughs) like not just me randomly throwing things around and seeing if they work, you know, like. I'm actually working with professionals who've been trained in this area and I I can ask them questions. I can, you know, like learn more about this in a way that is helpful. So, um, but you know, I work with so many clients who are like, marketing is icky, self-promotion is icky. We're not supposed to do that in academia. This is wrong. You know, like it's like they've been told, you know, that they're going to get fired if they get caught, like <laughs> talking about their stuff on Twitter. I mean, it's, So it's definitely a thing in academia, um, but I'm hoping that this season we can help people feel like it's a little bit less scary because once you start doing it, it does get easier and it does start to feel at least slightly more comfortable. So Sarah, explain your journey with marketing and also your extreme look of disgust. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, I think marketing for me has always felt like... um, a little bit of a black box that I don't feel privy to in some, in some ways. Um, and coming from an academic perspective, as you, as you highlighted Katie, there are a number of different, um, kind of feelings that come to mind about like, Oh, it's icky to self promote. You're not supposed to do that. You know, blah, 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 blah. blah. So my, my perspective on it has, I I think been informed much more from a communications perspective than from a classical marketing perspective. And maybe, um, maybe Katie, you can talk a little bit about from your perspective, what the differences are between those two fields. Um, and I can attempt to do that as well from my (laughs) relative naivete with all of it. But, um, when I think about communications, I think about, you know, getting your message out to the people who you want to be reaching, um, and less about for, from a sales perspective. So when I was working in academia, um, we would talk a lot about how do we want to reach the different people that we're trying to interact with? Um, How do we want to get the word out there about this cool thing that we did? Um, How do we want to spread the word about this great research? Those kinds of things. And that felt much more comfortable to me because it was a much more um, sort of uh, less salesy, I guess, way to approach it and much more of a, a situation of like, here's this thing we're offering, take it or leave it, hope you find it useful. Um, that kind of approach felt much more comfortable to me and much more authentic. Um, that said, you know, you, you can certainly do that a lot with uh, your free materials and things that that are, you know, not for sale. But when you get to the the um, placing a price tag on something and how do you get somebody to then buy into something, that I think is where for me marketing starts to feel uncomfortable. It starts to feel like. Um, more like a transaction instead of a conversation. Um, Communications perspective for me is much more of a conversation of like, oh, this is really cool. I think you would also enjoy this. Here you go. Let me provide this for you. Whereas marketing, it's much like, it's much more like, oh, what are you interested in? What can I sell you? And so from an academic perspective, I think some of the ickiness comes from um, how much are we called as academics to provide our research and our knowledge for quote unquote, the common good, and how much are we supposed to try to sell it. And so there's, there's even value judgments placed on whether or not we should be um, making people pay for stuff. Now we could get into a whole side tangent about the paywalls in academic publications, but we'll set that aside for the moment, because that's not really the topic. But there is sort of this weird perception about putting a price tag on something that 
um, that we've maybe done with uh, because of public dollars, for example. So my um, institution where I was at the University of Minnesota, we had a lot of grant dollars coming from uh, a lot of um, national grantors. And so the point was to disseminate things publicly. It was not to um, put it behind a paywall and make people pay for it. And so now transitioning into the entrepreneurial world where you don't eat unless you make people pay for stuff. Um, it's it's a really hard transition for me to make, I think, in a lot of ways. And so I, I struggle with how to be authentic uh, in my approach in, in and in my communications and not feel slimy for trying to make people pay for what I'm offering. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, where the rub really comes for me is I don't always feel like I have the best... Um, the best approach to that and why I'm excited to kind of try some different things out this season because I, I am hopeful to begin to find that co- more comfortable place of um, of both communications in terms of here's some great stuff I do offer for free. And then also, like, if you want to go the next level, my my um, my work has a certain value attached to it and I need, you know, I need to be compensated for that value. So, um yeah, that, that those are just some of the things that I wrestle with a little bit when I when it comes to marketing. It feels I feel a little like a used car used car salesman when I think about marketing. Um, and you know, nothing against used car salesmen; they are very good at what they do. My grandfather was one, um, and it's kind of magical watching them work in some ways. Uh, so I do have a, a profound respect for really good marketers because if you watch if you watch a really good marketer work, it, it's fascinating. It is fascinating what they can get people to do. Um, I just don't feel like I'm that kind of person. And so that's that's the other thing too, is I don't I don't necessarily own an identity in marketing in the same way. Um, and so yeah, I'm hoping to kind of wrestle with some of those things this season. So I'm really glad you brought up this whole thing about academics giving things away for free, because I think this is one of the hardest things for people to get over when they are an <laughs> academic starting a business is like, we're used to doing that. Like, that's what we're trained to do. We do a lot of academic labor that is volunteer. And a lot of people in academia, I think, feel undervalued. But even if they feel undervalued, they don't know how to take the step to be valued more and to ask for that kind of trade-off in value. But I always think about this as, you know, I think about the things that I pay money for that I really value. You know, like, for example... Um, If you follow me in other places, you know I'm about to renovate my kitchen. And I don't want to do any of it. They were like, do you want a demo? And I was like, nope. Do you want to paint? No, I do not. Do you want to pick things out? No, I do not. I'd like you to pick them out and I will approve them. Like, I want none of it. I, (laughs) I am happy to pay someone else to do this thing for me. Mm -hmm. And because I have other things I want to spend my time on, I have saved up enough money that I feel very comfortable, you know, spending it in this way. And I value the expertise of the people who are going to come in and do this work. I don't know how to tile. I don't know how to install new flooring. I don't know how to install cabinets. I don't want to learn. Not interested. Mm -hmm. So when I think about my business, (laughs) I think about there are things that I have spent a lot of time figuring out. Some of it's web design. Some of it is around coaching. And there are other people who want a guide to help them through this that they could figure it out on their own. They're just as smart as I am. The resources are out there. They could go through coaching training. I mean, they could do all the things that I have done. But for whatever reason, they don't want to. And that's okay. Like, there's no judgment in that. This is just kind of how the marketplace works. And that makes me feel a lot more comfortable, I think, with sharing out products and services, especially when it's very clear to me when someone comes to me that they see the benefit that they're getting from the product. You know, if they're questioning in any way whether or not they should move forward, I usually say it doesn't sound like you're ready. Hmm. And that's okay. You know, like, and and let's wait until you're in a better place, you know, to, or especially in a financial place. You know, I don't want people going into debt because they need coaching. You know, like, that's mm-hmm. not, you know, what anybody wants. But I don't know. I mean, I think that it is around, you know, thinking about what makes something feel comfortable for you and mm-hmm. what allows you to do it in a way that, even just shifting the language around it or um, I think about, for example, I've never felt comfortable with this idea of a um, thinking about my audience as like an ideal client. 
Mm. Like, this is a thing we're told to do as online business owners. Like, imagine your ideal client or create an avatar of your audience member. Like, you know, like it's a very common practice. And I was thinking about it the other day because I was trying to communicate to someone else, you know, like why this is an important aspect of your business, even though I don't do it in the way that other people do. And what I realized was I prefer to think of my audience as a community. And I prefer mm-hmm. to think of it as nurturing a community and connecting with a community and creating resources for that community. And so I think about my audience as a community, which feels more connected to me. It feels more genuine. It feels more relational mm-hmm. than like transactional, like what you were saying. So that mindset shift for me has allowed me to really engage in that you know, aspect of thinking about you know community research and what my community needs in a very different way than creating an avatar. And I think it's the same with marketing. You have to just like shift the mindset into something that's like, well, I don't want to call it this thing over here, but if I call it another word, okay, that feels better to me. Like I I can do that. That's something Mm -hmm. that, you know, is going to be something that I feel like I can do in a genuine way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like a couple of points you brought up there with the avatar. That one has always felt weird to me too. Um, I get the point of doing it and I, I think there's value in doing it. It helps kind of clarify your goals and objectives maybe, but right. I do feel like you have this danger of then making assumptions about who your audience is. And and I guess we all do that to some degree anyway. But I feel like if you create this very specific idea of what your ideal person is, <laughs> it uh, it makes it difficult to engage with the audience you have and instead make assumptions about who they are um, rather than sort of hearing them and where they're coming from. Um, the other thing, Katie, that struck me when you were talking about how you respond when people are like, I'm not really sure is um, I, I, I'm jealous, frankly, <laughs> of the way that you're able to immediately be like, this is not about me, it is about them, right? Like, they are not in the right place. Whereas I think for a lot of people, myself included, sometimes it it's hard to not take it personally, especially because so much of the work that we do is personal. And right. whether it's coaching or whether it's, you know, producing something really creative that you pour a bunch of time and energy and effort into, um, for whatever reason, that initial like, yeah, no, I'm not really interested is it feels more or or the like, I'm not sure I'm ready for this yet feels like more of a value judgment than um, somebody not supporting me on Patreon, which we talked about, I think it was last season. And you were like, I, for me, that feels like a value judgment about my personhood. And I'm like, yeah, no, whatever. If I'm not if what I'm creating isn't for them, then that's okay. Like, for whatever reason, it's that um, that back and forth, like, if I can't convince you in that conversation that this is actually worth it, then clearly I'm not doing it right, right? Like clearly I'm not either communicating the value of this correctly or, you know, you're not engaging, you know, you're not connecting with with me. And there, that of course then is my fault and not yours, right? Like, <laughs> So for whatever reason in those more individualized kinds of negotiations, it's, it's hard for me and I would warrant for others as well, uh, or I would guess uh, for others that, that it it gets to this place of like, it's about me. It's not about them. It's not where they are. It's like, oh gosh, there's something wrong with me or what I created. So I don't know. It's just, it was an interesting thing when you said that. I was like, huh, yeah, that'd be nice to be able to do that. (laughs) Well, I think that this is what makes marketing really hard. Like this is the thing that I struggle with. And I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. You might have a tactic that's not working or that is working. Mm -hmm. But when I think about things that work and, and that actually, and when I mean work cause people to buy things, you know, like actually take the step of like purchasing a product or a service, it's usually built on a bigger foundation than that tactic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, especially with like in my business, people have been listening to my podcast for like two years Mm -hmm. and, and finally I'll offer something that they're like, Oh, I need that. Mm -hmm or, oh, that sounds interesting, or whatever, and they'll buy it. It's not just the tactic of the ad in my podcast mm-hmm. that had them buy that thing. It's the fact that I maybe they're connected with me on Instagram stories. Maybe they see that I'm living out my values in a way that is attractive to them. Like, it could be any number of things, and it's different for every person. Mm-hmm. And so that constellation, like this is the other way that I feel like I really just let myself off the hook when it comes to marketing is like, there's just no way for me to know. Like, and right. I'm just going to have to do this in the way that feels good to me. And if people buy stuff, great. And they are. So something must be working, you know, like, <laughs> and I don't know that I have to know exactly what it is as long as I'm living it out in a way that feels good to me. 
like I, I don't I don't need the magic secret. I don't need the secret sauce. Like this is the thing that I think is really that's the icky part of marketing for me is when people are like, ooh, do this trick and you're gonna get a thousand Instagram followers. I'm like, I don't want a thousand Instagram followers. If they didn't come to me naturally and they're not genuinely interested in what I'm offering, you know, like why would I want that? So that's I think a different thing of when you think about online marketing and, and selling, and I do think marketing and sales are different in terms of, you know, how we think about them. You have to be okay with like doing your thing and, and having some people not like it. And yeah. I think that's the hard part for academics in particular is like some people might judge you and like, well, you're going to get judged. Mm-hmm. Very true. Shrug emoji. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. And I, I think it's less about, for me, it's less about the judgment. And there was something in, in what you said that I want to, I want to draw out. You said that um, for you, it's less about the tactics because, and you, you're, you're not necessarily going to know exactly which uh, constellation of tactics worked for a particular person, but you know, it's working. I think where marketing gets really hard is when you feel like you're trying something and you see it's not working. And then what do you do, right? You feel like, okay, well, I should try a different tactic but none of them feel comfortable and none of them feel like a, a place where you really want to be. So then you don't, and then you don't sell stuff. Uh, so like, I feel like there's a, if it's working, yeah, great. It's, it's, you know, you can, you can look at it and say like, I don't need to know which specific thing worked here or whatever I'm, I'm doing seems to be working for some people, but what do you do when it's not? And I think that's an interesting thing we'll want to come back to throughout the season. Um, at what point when you're trying one of these different strategies that we're talking about, do you decide like, okay, this isn't working either because I'm not doing it right or because that's not how my audience wants to interact with me um, or that's not what my audience wants. And when do you decide to make that shift in a, in a tact tactic and either completely ditch it in favor of something else or decide, okay, I need to adjust my messaging a little bit, right? And this is where communications comes in too. You have to be able to communicate what it is that you're trying to sell. <laughs> um, and if you're not doing that part well, no matter what kind of marketing you're doing, it's it's not going to matter because if people don't know what it is that you're doing, um, then they're not going to buy it. So I think, you know, there's lots of like kind of gnarly issues wrapped up in this that I'm excited to, to dig into more this season. And um, we should definitely come back to some of those things. I know we don't have all the time in the world today to talk about them, but I do want to draw out some of those um, process oriented questions because you and I are both about process. <laughs> Well, and I do feel like the universe just flipped upside down a little bit because I think you're going to be the more strategic in this conversation when you're like talking about the logistics and like when to decide. And I'm like, I just kind of do stuff and like. <laughs> yeah, we are kind of flipping a little bit. What's I going feel on? like we, fl we flipped a little bit there. But I mean, so let me give an example because this is also, I think, where planning and tacti tactics, I'm putting this in air quotes, like doesn't always I don't know how I want to say this. So so let me give this example. So I have this client who's going through a hard time and she's really struggling. So I sent her a little care package of just like, I'm thinking of you. I hope you're okay. You know, like here's some stuff. Is that a marketing tactic? Like not directly. I'm not trying to sell her a product. I'm not trying to whatever. But am I kind of keeping that relationship warm through showing care through what I would call in radical self-trust, like showing loving kindness towards her in this moment. Some people would say that's part of my marketing strategy is like being that kind of person who would do that because it's going to, I probably, I mean, I would imagine help her feel positively towards me, you know, like, mm -hmm. but to me, it's like, that's not marketing. That's just humanity, right. you know, like, so when you can take your marketing down to a level of how are you just connecting with people? How are you just being yourself, telling people that you have this thing that might be helpful to them, not doing it in a way that feels like, um, I mean, we've talked about this before, Sarah, when people get kind of desperate, like we're not being desperate. We're just saying we have this thing um, and that we're offering communities something, you know, in particular I, I, that's the part that I feel like we're, that's where the universe is flipping upside down. Because this is the kind of thing that I think you would normally do. You know, mm -hmm. like you would be thinking about it in this way and say, like, follow the energy, follow, you know, what your client needs or whatever. Um, and maybe I've, maybe you've rubbed off on me. Uh, maybe that's what's happening here. But I, I mean, I guess I just, you know, like, we don't think about that side of marketing. We think about it as just being icky and gross when really, like, 
part of what happens through marketing is you get to meet people that you would have never met otherwise. You get to support them at a time in their life when they need something that you're providing that could be very impactful for them, depending on the kind of product or service you offer. It's That's the potential side of it that I don't think we talk about. We just mm-hmm. are like, where's the money? Right. And it's just, I don't know. I, and maybe this is my privilege of having a side business you know, that is not paying my mortgage. We've certainly talked about that before, too. But I definitely have the freedom of turning people away or referring them to other things, which, you know, to be completely honest, often has the reverse psychology of them working with me because they're so impressed that I'm willing to refer them to something else that they're like, I trust you because you told me about all the options. So I'm choosing you. Okay, great. Like, but that's just me being honest. That's not a marketing tactic. It's just, I want you to find the best thing that you need. And maybe it's me and maybe it's not. Yeah, no, there's there's lots of uh, lots of good food for thought there, and I think I think there's lots of stuff we can dig in through into throughout the season, and and things that will come up about process and also about about uh, sort of thought framework for how to approach marketing in some different ways, and and yeah, I'm excited to talk about those things. Um, Katie, I'm just looking at some of the notes that you and I made uh, before the the show. Yes, listeners, sometimes we do do a little bit of preparation in advance. <laughs> Um, and one of the Sarah, things I... don't give them that peek behind the curtain. <laughs> they should think we have a detailed outline every time. We're totally scripted all the time. Right. <laughs> Can't you tell? Can't you tell? Um, well, one of the things that we wanted to talk a little bit about um, is, is this question, especially coming from an academic perspective, this question of credentialing and then overstepping and sort of imposter syndrome. Katie, yes. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and, and some of the things that we're, we're thinking about uh, addressing this season with respect to that. Oh, that's a really good question. So one of the things that before we hit record that Sarah and I were talking about was there's this kind of magical thing that happens in academia when you get a PhD that all of a sudden you just know everything about everything because you have a PhD, <laughs> um, and which is obviously totally not true. Um, but there is this kind of perception and elevation of who you are and, and what you can do because of that credential. And when you go into the online business world, especially depending on what you're trying to sell, doesn't really matter to people. Like sometimes you can put a doctor in front of your name and and it does matter, again, depending on your product or service. But there are certainly situations where nobody cares that you have a PhD and, and they care about other kinds of things. And that I think is part of the challenge of marketing is that you have to market yourself in a way that that will be credible in whatever community is you're trying to to join or to sell to. And Sometimes that comes a lot more through like your actions or what you share out on social than it does through the fact that you have some letters after your name. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I also think that, you know, it is interesting when you have a PhD and when you're starting to think about doing something that's like really nebulous, like consulting, you know, like, ooh, I'm a consultant. What does that even mean? You know, like we we use this language and we don't really know what it means. Um, but I think a lot of people feel like, do I know enough to do that? Can mm-hmm. I be a consultant? Can I be a coach? Can I be a speaker? You know, like, what does it mean to have that? And you all know, if you've listened to the show, that I recently pursued a credential in coaching um, that made me feel more comfortable, especially for institutions that want to hire me, um, that I have that and that I can say I've been through a formal training. So, I mean, I think it's definitely one of those things where it feels to me very personal. Like some people won't get a coach training credential. They don't feel like they need that. For me, I felt like I needed it. I wanted more training. I I wanted to do a deep dive in that professional development. And that was a good kind of structured way for me to do it. But this is also, I have to say, one of the like life-changing things for me about radical self-trust is like it hits imposter syndrome head on. Like that is its, in some ways, primary purpose when it comes to (laughs) academics is like, I mean, academia is built on imposter syndrome. It is embedded into our graduate training. I mean, it is everywhere. And I cannot tell you how many clients I've worked with that this is a a huge problem for them. And so as I've been kind of going more deeply into my radical self-trust practice, this has become a much easier thing for me to make personal choices around of when I feel like I'm overstepping and when I feel like I have kind of earned the right to be in a certain space. And it's the clarity around that has been a relief, like a huge relief. I don't question myself 
as much as I used to, mm-hmm. um, because I just feel like I have, I've taken the time to really carefully think about who I am and what I feel like I can do and how I can help people and how that translates into my business. And, um, so I, I think that it's, it remains a huge problem. Um, and I think it's something that I, I see over and over again with people who are trying to start businesses as academics and they really struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an issue. And it's, uh, it's sometimes I, I think even when I normally kind of have the imposter syndrome under control, it will sometimes rear its ugly head in some really surprising ways and in some right. ways that I'm not expecting. And it takes a lot sometimes to really shut that voice down because yes. it's, um, you know, it is so reliant on our perception of external validation, right? And, and it's built into, like you said, built into ac- academic culture in such a way that, uh, you know, we need the the gold star and the, and the A and to the pass and the good comments from our advisors and, you know, the, the great, you know, d- dissertation and all of that kind of stuff. It's all viewed from from this external validation, which, by the way, changes depending on department, depending on university, depending on field of study, right? Like not no PhD is created equal. Frankly, in my mind, they are all different experiences. Um but they, they share a lot of similarities, and imposter syndrome is one of the deepest and most entrenched ones, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I find it even still creeps up for me in some really kind of hideous ways. That, that Once I take a step back and realize what that is, I'm like, oh, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> yes, he's totally a guy. Um, <laughs> kick him to the curb. But, um, you know, something else, Katie, that you said in there made me think a little bit about... Um, sometimes the struggle that we have not only as academics, um, but that I, I experience at least a little bit, I think as a woman, and that's the sort of asserting your value and your worth feels a little uncomfortable in some spaces too. Sure. Like how much credentialing do I need in order to be approved? Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've kind of talked about with a lot of people recently is this, uh, I'm going to misquote this research, of course, so we'll put a link to it in the in the show notes. But this this uh, research is looking at um, women are more likely to or, or really only likely to apply to jobs that they feel like they're 100 percent qualified for, whereas men are like, well, let's do it if I'm 60 percent qualified. Right. right. There's those kinds of um, more societal pervasive issues that I think affect how we as business women interact and and operate in the world. Um, And so those are these really sort of insidious imposter syndrome pieces that that are there as well. Um, But I was having a conversation with a a colleague recently who's kind of newly getting into this consulting speaking world. And she she was it was funny because she was just like, so do you just start speaking? And I was like, Yep. <laughs> you know, you just you you kind of get your foot in the door and you go. And she's like, do I need a credential for that? And I'm like, nope, <laughs> you just go for it. And it, but it's it's funny to me now. But like, I was in that exact place five years ago, where I was like, am I qualified to do this? Like, yeah, I have a PhD. But does that mean that I can actually go talk to people about the things that I studied? <laughs> you know, because we're so used to in the academic environment being told that our ideas aren't all there is and aren't good enough. And, and that, I don't know, there's just so much in that whole process that it's really hard to kind of overcome that and find your voice again and realize that like, wow, I have a wealth of knowledge that I can share with the world in many and different ways and in many and different areas that is valuable and useful. And so kick that imposter syndrome dude into the snowbank. I'm looking out my window and there's a lot of snow here. So, you know, we're going with snowbank today. (laughs) I think, you know, many of us who have PhDs wish there was like a degree beyond the PhD so that we could just keep going. (laughs) Which I guess is, I guess is like tenure, which, you know, clearly Sarah, you and I have not chosen. Um, Uh, (laughs) But, but no, I think that that, there is definitely something about you've got to, what you were talking about with external validation, you know, like you've got to figure out what matters to you. And I think that goes back to this idea of when you're putting yourself out there with marketing, you're inviting judgment from other people. But there's lots of ways we do this. Like social media is a great example of like putting yourself out there, being very vulnerable. Um, But I also think that in academia, we are really used to kind of privately sharing our work, you know, like with 
colleagues who would be already primed to be interested like think about the conferences that you go to for example (laughs) where it's like everybody kind of knows your field and yeah they're going to try to rip you to shreds based on what you're saying but you know like these are your people and once you start marketing in a business your people may change they probably will not be exactly like you they're probably going to be more diverse than that group that you were quote unquote, marketing your stuff to before, if you want to think of it that way. And this idea of just like putting yourself out there is a lot more extroversion than I think many academics are used to. And then you layer in this thing of like, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to write copy. I don't know how to talk about myself. I don't know how to talk about my product, you know, like all of those things. It's a total recipe for imposter syndrome. I mean, it's like, how could you not like question everything you're doing at every given moment? But I think that, and one one way I think that we can talk about this, and maybe we'll go into more detail later in the season, and I think I mentioned this back in season four, I have been so helped by doing a lot of this in advance. Like by planning it out in advance and thinking carefully about an actual strategy and a dissemination plan and like what am I going to talk about this month? You know, like, I'm just going to market one thing instead of a dozen. You know, like, what am I going to focus in on? That has actually really helped me to feel like I can move forward in a way that feels comfortable and that I'm not kind of in the moment, you know, being reactionary because it's like, oh, I need to make $100. What should I tweet in order (laughs) to do that? Like, no, it's not like that. And so anyway, I think that that, the social aspect of it and the putting yourself out there when you don't have a plan and when you're just kind of like throwing stuff around that's when you get into what you were talking about Sarah of you're like throwing stuff out you're seeing if it sticks and when you when it doesn't you're not even sure what the strategy was to begin with sometimes that it's like how do you even know if it worked because you didn't even know what it was so I mean I'm I'm laughing over (laughs) here because you're totally calling me out on the show Guilty, guilty. That's why we're doing this season, so I can learn so stuff. So that, that was not my intention. <laughs> I when know. I said Sarah, it was more of a connection tactic. <laughs> not a, you're doing this and I know you're doing this. No, I know. I think we all feel like we're doing that, especially yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, you know, it's so, sure. we, I mean, we've talked about so much before, Sarah, how experimental businesses are. Like, there mm-hmm. is a degree to what you're going to try stuff out and see if it sticks. Like, yep. But you need to label it. You need to say, I'm trying this right now. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to see, here's my metric of how I'm going to know if I feel like it's working. But the part that is really frustrating is I could do a metric two years ago that really stuck with someone and they bought something now. It, they did at the time, it didn't seem like it worked, but it did, you know, like I, I, that's the part that I think is really hard, especially if you produce a lot of content or you're building relationships with people over time. You may have a product right now that's just not a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they don't want to support you. It doesn't mean that they're not interested in your work. It's just mm-hmm. that's not the product they need. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. And and the sort of step-by-step-by-step step um, building of a business, I mean, that's why they call it building a business. Like, it, it doesn't just immediately happen overnight for most of us. And so, yeah. um, you know, it, the things that we did two, five, ten years ago do inform how we're operating now and do inform how people are interacting with us now. I mean, the the things that, you know, the things that we wrote and produced and made a couple of years ago may still be reaching people in ways that we have no idea that, that it's even happening that way and bringing new people into the fold that you, I don't know where they're coming from, but okay, cool. Great. Thanks for being here (laughs) and, and figuring out how to, how to kind of honor that connection and continue it. um, while also, you know, being real about the fact that I have a bottom line and I need to, you know, I need to meet those goals too. So yeah, lots of, lots of stuff, uh, food for, for thought on that. Um, one of the other things, Katie, I want to point out about the PhD question and the academic question is, um, in some communities and in some spaces, though, uh, though we, you know, we might think having a PhD kind of lends some credentialing, as we've said, like, in the online business world is kind of like, well, whatever. Um, In some other spaces, it might actually be damaging. So there is this perception, or there can be this perception, right, that PhDs are insufferable know-it-alls who come in and pretend to be experts and who swoop in and do this stuff and then run away, right? Well, we wouldn't know. We don't know anyone like that. I don't don't know where that comes from at all. (laughs) Sarcasm. Uh, (laughs) A little bit, in case that wasn't clear. Um, 
So, you know, so I think being really thoughtful about the communities that you're trying to enter into and the previous experiences that those communities have had with the academy. And um, there are some places, and in fact, I would say most places that I operate, um, I, I tend to not introduce myself as Dr. Langworthy. I'm Sarah. Um, that it, kind of across the board. Um, sometimes when I go and do talks and things, they'll ask for the, the bio and I'll send them the bio because that's important and whatever. And, you know, then the, the organizers will be like, oh, this is Dr. Langworthy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, fine. But also, uh, like, is that really the best framing for this particular audience? Um, and so I think thinking about that when you're thinking about marketing too, like, is waving the PhD around really the best way to interact with this group of people? I don't know. Um, and, and just being thoughtful about that, because I think sometimes we're like, I'm a doctor, even though I don't really feel entirely secure in the fact that I know things. Other people perceive you as knowing things. Um, yeah. And you do know things, to be clear. Like, let's let's be clear here. We do know things. Um, but sometimes that identity is not always a positive thing is um, basically the point there. So just be thoughtful about which communities you're entering and, and how you want to enter them. Yeah. Well, and I think that also raises for me kind of a larger question of like, where are you seen? Mm-hmm. Because I think that the other kind of challenging thing about marketing is like, you're kind of doing it all the time, whether you want to be doing it or not. It's true. So, I mean, if I'm on Twitter and I'm acting like a jerk, you know, like that's not really going to show up well for my business when I'm talking about radical self-trust and authenticity and, you know, whatever, like loving kindness, like, you know, that you got to model that stuff. So I think that, um, that is also one of those things that can be really challenging when you're thinking about marketing is what are the kind of themes that you're naturally doing anyway that mm. are not going that you can kind of amplify through your marketing efforts that are more um, intentional but that are just going to show up whether you want them to or not mm-hmm. and I think about you know values I have around creativity for example you know like I can't help but share the stuff that I'm creating like right. it's just fun I enjoy mm-hmm. it you're if you follow me anywhere you're going to see me talking about that stuff and is that a marketing tactic? I guess, you know, like, but it's also just part of who I am. So right. I think that the the thing that we're, or at least the thing that sometimes I'm aiming for with my marketing is trying to align it closely enough with who I am that I don't have to be faking anything. Like mm-hmm. it's just, you know, and part of that comes from liking my business and trusting my products that, you know, like I, it's not scary for me to market stuff because I know that it works. Like I've seen it work. I have testimonials. Like I see my clients making like major leaps and bounds in their personal and professional lives because they've gone through coaching. Like Mm -hmm. there's a power to those things that I believe in that makes it easier for me to talk about them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to quote unquote, sell them to a new client. I was just talking with someone yesterday who was inquiring with me about private coaching and she had all kinds of questions about what is coaching and what's her responsibility as a client? What's my responsibility as a coach? You know, what makes an ideal client for me? Would, you know, and it's all about trying to decide if we're a good fit to work together. But it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, I can talk incredibly confidently about coaching. There is no hesitation Mm -hmm. when I'm talking about what the power is. Whether or not you're ready for it is a totally different question. Mm -hmm. But can it help you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like with most things, will it be helpful? Yes, it will. Like Mm -hmm. that is just not a question in my mind. So that's the thing that's like, what is it in your business that you want to be evangelical about? And it's not even about you. It's about the thing. Mm -hmm. Like radical self-trust, it's not about me. It's about the thing of radical self-trust and it works. And Mm -hmm. I just happen to be the vehicle that will tell you about it. Mm -hmm. So I, that to me makes it so much easier. I agree. I think finding those, those key elements of your business where it's just easy, (laughs) right? I think sometimes we get so caught up in the shouldas, you know, or I should do this thing, or this thing will make me more money, or this thing is a direction I should go in for whatever reason, that we sometimes forget to sit in those places of, of just pure joy of what we're doing. And, and in those places is really the informative, the, the informative piece of here's where my passion is, here's where my energy is. Here, like, if you get me, for example, if you get me talking about how to build your online video presence, I will not shut up about it. And and it's one of those things that's taken me a while to feel like I'm an authority enough to be able to talk about that. Again, I don't have a PhD in 
video making. I don't, I don't have a communications background officially. I don't have any of those things, but I've got some experience making online videos in a variety of different areas. And I just, I really love talking about it. And I really love thinking about the strategy behind it and how are you going to use it and what are you going to do with it? And what does the data tell you? And you know, all of these kinds of pieces, again, I could nerd out four days about it and do sometimes. So that tells me like, okay, that is a place where you can be kind of evangelical about the power of online video and what it can do for your business and what it can do for you as an organization or as an individual. Um, and, and figuring out how to channel that and how to follow that passion, um, you know, while recognizing that there are going to be places where I'm going to be a little uncomfortable too, where I'm going to be in a, a group of people who have way more experience than I do in a particular aspect of video making. But that doesn't mean that I don't have something to offer here. Um, and Katie, I think you bring that up that, you know, you've, you've framed this idea of radical self-trust. You're also not the only person out there doing it, right? Right. But you're comfortable in, in saying like, I know enough about this to know that it works and it's valuable and I can teach you about it. Um, but I also know I'm not the only one out here doing it. So um, I think sometimes when we come from the academic pond where we know everybody who is in our subfield and we have interacted with that tiny little group of people and then we get thrown into the giant ocean that is, you know, self-employment and freelancing and online entrepreneurism and it can feel like you're going to get eaten by all of the giant whales out there who are doing this work in many and various ways that are sort of quote unquote better or bigger than you. That doesn't mean that your individual experience doesn't have value. And I think sometimes when we're in the marketing framework, it's that compete, compete, compete. How am I better than this person? Um, and, or this, this other product or whatever. And that can be really disconcerting from an academic perspective too, because we're not used to doing we're not used to doing it publicly in that way. Um, obviously, there's, you know, there's infighting about different theories and all of those kinds of things and lines of research, but it's different. It's different out here. And so getting used to that difference and figuring out how do I navigate this, these, you know, somewhat hostile waters in a way that feels okay to me and in a way that I can do the thing I'm passionate about and help people who are also interested in this thing that I'm passionate about. Great. Like that's, that's the goal. It's also really hard. <laughs> Yeah, well, I feel like, Sarah, you've just pointed out to me one incredibly positive thing that we can bring from academia in our backgrounds, which I had not kind of made the connection with before, because I feel like all we're saying is like, academia does not prepare you for this. <laughs> which um, it doesn't, but. But. <laughs> but here is one way that it does prepare you. Academia is all about niching. Mm -hmm. We're trained our entire careers to niche. And when you come into the online business world, everyone will tell you, you have to niche. And you will resist it for an incredibly long time because of FOMO. And you will feel like you, you'll feel like you are missing out on clients and opportunities and all these things if you niche. But having been in business for several years now, you have to niche. I'm going to tell you the same thing that everyone else is telling you. You have to niche. And but this is something that we are trained to do. We mm -hmm. are we know how to kind of go deep on a particular thing and really, you know, explore that thing and become the expert in that thing. And that will totally benefit you mm -hmm. in the online business world. Now, like you said, Sarah, it's incredibly scary to do. Um, and I can say that from the person who's just limited my keynotes to one keynote, <laughs> one keynote to rule them all. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, hashtag yeah. LOTR. Um, but I think, you know, it's, we can look for things in academia that are positives as well. And that is one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think that that idea of, of niching is something that, we are also trained mm -hmm. to do. We have a strong muscle in that area and we can apply that to our online businesses. Agreed, agreed. And and as someone who's not quite niching in the same ways, I think, as, as you are, Katie, I am still kind of clinging to my generalist uh, identity a little more, I think. But um, to frame that a different way, to those of you who are cringing at the niching idea, it's PhDs and, and other academic environments really teach you how to learn stuff. And so if you are trying to pull in a new aspect of your business, maybe you are, um, you're, you know, you're in podcasting and diving into online video, right? Like you have the skills you need to go find information and figure stuff out and learn a new thing and dive in and figure out how it all, how it all works and fits together, right? Those are the pieces of the academic identity that are well-trained and well-honed and that you can carry with you and that you can sell, frankly, like <laughs> you can sell the fact that you have these skills um, and, and these learning skills and these ab ability to write, ab ability to string a coherent sentence together. Although from listening to me today, that <laughs> might not seem apparent. Um, but, you know, you have these skills that 
you can really market and really um, emphasize in your work. And um, so if, if niching for, for some of you is still feeling a little far off, um, enjoy the, the period of being a generalist. Enjoy, enjoy the period of learning lots of different stuff across lots of different areas, um, because that is a part of the business too. Um, you know, Katie, I think you and I both had periods where we were doing lots of different things. And, you know, I still am to some degree. I was going to say, we um, both are still doing that. <laughs> still doing lots of different things. Both of us have focused to some degree, right? We're, we're focusing in on a, on a couple of different areas. It's a I, spiral. You're it kind is. Of spi- you spiral in and mm-hmm. you can't get to the spiral without doing the other stuff first. Exactly. And so for those of you who are kind of just getting started, you know, the, the value that academia brings, again, is in that learning process. You can, you can learn pretty much anything you want. And, and that's a huge, huge asset. Okay, so clearly we've set ourselves up as experts in this topic. <laughs> um, as we're going to explore it throughout the season. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, into our... <laughs> Inner hell. Uh, what? Oh. Yeah, right, right. Not quite sure what this is going to be. Um, okay, but I, this gives us, I think, a nice a nice foundation to launch into maybe some specific tactics, mm-hmm. you know, talking about specific things. Um, and I think that we will also get into what are the areas that, what are the things that have been most helpful to us? Mm-hmm. What has worked for us in the past? What are the things that maybe we still feel a lack of experience in that we want to do a deeper dive into mm-hmm. um, this season and what that will look like? But I, I'm really thankful, Sarah, that you're willing to go along on this with me, because I do feel like this is an area where we just kind of like turn away from it Mm -hmm. because we don't want to do it. And at a certain point, you got to just take it head on and just be like, this is a thing. We cannot ignore it. This is like part of how businesses work. And we got to figure it out. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And I am ready, uh, I think, to uh, try to figure it out with you. <laughs> we'll see. This could be interesting. This could be All where right. Sarah loses her mind. We'll see. <laughs> well, well, again, we will see that, won't we? <laughs> All right. So to our listeners, thank you for joining us for season five. We are very excited to dive in this season with you. Um, you can always find our episodes at katielinder.work slash podcasts. And we always include show notes, so feel free to go there for links to various resources that we mentioned throughout the episode. We also would love to connect with you on Twitter and various other social media platforms. You can find me on Twitter at Katie double underscore Linder, or you can find me on Instagram at Katie underscore Linder. And Sarah, where are you found these days? I am on Twitter and I also started an Instagram. I'm not doing much other than golden retriever photos over there at the moment, but that will change. So if you like golden retrievers, go over there. Uh, So I'm at Dr. Langworthy at Dr. Langworthy in both uh, Twitter and Instagram spaces. So awesome. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for exploring this with me. And I look forward to the rest of the season. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Your Way. Show notes and a transcript for this episode can be found at katielinder.work slash podcasts. Make Your Way is part of the Radical Self-Trust podcast channel, a collection of content dedicated to helping you seek self-knowledge, nurture your superpowers, playfully experiment, live your core values with intention, practice loving kindness toward yourself and others, and settle into your life's purpose. Learn more about the RST channel at katielinder.work slash podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please also consider rating and or reviewing the show in iTunes. Thanks for listening.